from Maui. Sending you so much love. Stuart Watkins here, your host. Thank you so much for joining me. My guest today is Alex King Harris. He is a leader and pioneer in transformational music experiences. He really is a master at what he does. Some of his collaborations and co-creations have been with Desert Dwellers, Shaman's Dream, and Liquid Bloom. He also has a lot of solo work as well. I'll leave links below to some of my favorite work that he's created, my go-tos, and music that I've had in playlists in the yoga room for years now. And when I think of all the playlists that I've created over the years, most of the playlists feature at least a couple of his songs. They're really, really masterful. I can't emphasize that enough. I, I am a super fan for sure. I love his work and it was a real honor to have him on the show. He's a wise dude as well. I really enjoyed the conversation. He's got a lot of insights and wisdom and I found it really inspiring and refreshing. I hope you do as well. Before we get into the podcast, I wanted to remind you all that coming up soon in two months, just over two months, this Friday, it'll be two months until Flow Festival, January 10 to 12, 2020. Check out that lineup of numbers. It looks pretty epic. It's going to be on a full moon weekend in the peak of summer, but kind of after that whole rush of Christmas and New Year, the timing post Christmas and New Year, it feels better. It feels good. It feels very optimum, for lack of a better word. It feels optimum to recharge, to align with our intentions, to get in community, to get in the earth, that water. I can't wait to jump in that water and that charged serpentine earth. So I hope you can join us. It's going to be really beautiful. Lots of great teachers and artists and inspiration. And it's a beautiful community to get together with, whether you're coming with friends or family or by yourself. This truly is for anyone and everyone. So I'll leave a link below to that as well. Flowfestival.com.au That's about it for now. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the great and wonderful Alex King Harris. All right, Alex, it's a blessing and an honor to be with you. How are you for starters? How's life? Life is, wow, it's so rich. And thank you. It's an honor to be here, Stuart, truly. Um, life is is full in, in that I am learning and growing perhaps more than ever right now and uh, finding deep uh, curiosity in the human journey. It's quite, it's quite an epic, quite an what epic experience being human. Oh, yeah. What are you finding right now? Uh, lots of humility. And uh, really focusing my practice towards gratitude, really sitting with the parts of myself that need some pretty tender care. Um, you know, I'm, I mean, just to dive right on in, I would say I'm quite in touch with parts of my being that 
need some care as far as trauma recovery and and really going down deep into some of the the earlier deeper patterns of my nervous system to um really kind of for me pioneer ways to shift long-standing habits that just are really not serving me or love or um my ability to be of service in the world so that's you know i'm grateful to be doing this deep exploration life has brought me some incredible opportunities to really crack open at a level i didn't even thought was possible so i'm in the process of that yeah it's quite a journey and what are your what are your methods right now? What are your practices? Mm, uh, lots of breath work, lots of singing, uh, lots of yoga, lots of finding deep, trustful connections with other humans where I can really dive deep with them. Um, certainly exploring uh, my connection with nature in a deeper way, and doing somatic integration work with, with people that really understand how to really encourage the mind body connection uh, in a, in a deeper way than I again thought was possible. And I, you know, I've, I had, I've had my journeys with shamanic techniques and plant medicine and, I invited Iboga into my life earlier this year, which is an African plant medicine. And that, that was really an incredible journey of awakening to my mind body connection and how much uh, information is stored in my abdomen and my gut and how much that just getting to know my intestines and my organs from a place of awareness really helped turn on a lot of circuits in my brain. So just, Mm. yeah, diving in all areas right now. Yeah, it's incredible. The thank you for sharing for starters. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I found um, I had a deep dive with a lot of shamanic practices and plant medicine. And I found as expansive as it was and mind opening and heart opening and multi dimensional, I found it took its toll on my nervous system. And I needed mm-hmm. to kind of back away from it for a bit to integrate and to let the mm-hmm. nervous system kind of almost like to let the body and everything catch up with what had happened. That's what mm-hmm. it felt like for me. And I think mm-hmm. I'm observing a little bit of that in the community as, um, mm-hmm. as these plant medicines get more and more um, kind of mainstreamed, I guess. It's becoming really um, accessible, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, I'm seeing quite a few people get kind of, um, kind of bottoming out with it like mm-hmm. literally, literally figuratively and um in all kinds of ways and it seems mm-hmm. that that kind of ebb and flow of like going deep and then um letting everything catch up and recalibrate and mm-hmm. meet mm-hmm. that because it, it's such a indescribable frequency a, a wattage that we just tend to not experience in um in this dimensionality it's it's so interesting mm-hmm. i find mm-hmm. it an incredible time for that exploration Mm -hmm. yeah and i i think you're right you know perhaps the challenge and from what i understand about the nature of these plant medicines is they're really shared in the context of village and community where integration is a very different experience of being able to immediately 
share and also be witnessed within the context of your community, the journey that you've gone on. And for us in the West, because we're so isolated from that, and we may belong to some sort of cultural identity that feels like community, but is it really a place where where the deep transparency of our journey can be witnessed day after day and we can sort of integrate in that? Um, you know, and there's certainly a desire to find belonging in the culture of plant medicine and what that means. You know, for me, I've been very selective about when and where I go into that realm. And with the Iboga, it was a one-time drop in and right away that was like, okay, I'm going to, it's going to take a while for me to really work with this and integrate the, the, the learning of it and do that in a way where, um, yeah, I'm where my nervous system can catch up to the experience. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in that, for me, a lot of the ground zero work right now is what does it take to revillage in our culture? Mm-hmm. What does revillaging even look like when we're in an economic and social system that is essentially fragmented away from uh, a, a daily reality of belonging? Um, and we have to work so hard just to get into a place where we can feel seen and, and open mm-hmm. and, you know, safe and, and that our resources are being shared. And it, to me, there's such a deep parallel in the need for healing, personal individual healing and what it looks like to actually work towards um, belonging in a sense of what a quote unquote village might feel like. Mm. Are you seeing hope in that revillaging? I haven't heard that term actually. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, Personally, I'm quite careful about uh, the generating of hope, mm-hmm. uh, to be totally honest. Yeah. I feel like there is such, uh, you know, there's perhaps one of my favorite teachers in that is Pema Chodron of, uh, of really allowing there to be a place in between being free of hope and despair. Yeah. And, you know, the, the attachment to the outcome of any effort uh, versus the, the sort of other version of attachment, which takes us into that negative headspace of what, what might come from a fearful way of looking at things. Mm-hmm. And in that, um, the reality is that we are in such a dire state of debt in, in, with regards to what we've what we've collectively gotten to in the realm of isolation and our planet breaking down and, you know, all the things, when you look at all of them with a certain amount of openness, that for me is part of the humility is what I personally find is grief and then action and, and, and rest hopefully in there somewhere that just, just doing the next right thing is all that I can do as a human being in response to what I'm seeing and the work, honestly, of revillaging, what it's shown me is that people have forgotten how to really trust each other at a deep mm. level. And the trusting is so, it's been so affected by thousands of years of, of trauma through patriarchy, honestly, to go kind of straight into that. Um, not to blame the man, but here we are as two men, knowing what we inherit in our culture. Uh, perhaps I could maybe just assume that you've perhaps gone into some own, your own deep dives around what it means to be a man right now. Totally. And yeah. And, and in that, the deeper place of trust, um, 
how do you know when we start looking at rebuilding that with each other mm. um a lot of cultural discomfort starts to rise up and we see the places where we don't see eye to eye and where um where we're hurt in ways that we inherited that hurt and it doesn't even have to do with our lifetime maybe it's been reinforced by specific traumas in our life but it's something that's been handed down and so we're taking a turn to look at all of that and it's 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 a lot it's a lot and i i do see that it's necessary i think if humans are to thrive in on this planet we need each other mm-hmm. more than ever and um we need to learn how to live together in sustainable ways that don't rely on a massively overarching system to hold us all up uh and that, that there is certainly a path that i've seen mm-hmm. that provides me with a sense of like oh yeah that's you know that's how i want to live in this lifetime is in a functional village but i think that what that requires is a deep healing of human intimacy and our connection to water and our connection to land and our connection to energy um and those are pretty deeply wounded things when we really start to look at them so. yeah beautifully put it's so Thanks. powerful and we're we're in such an interesting time where that deep work of revillaging is happening more and more like everywhere i look it's happening yet this other movement that seems to be so seductive of mm-hmm. the, of of the technology the distractions the kind of numbing out numbing out to the endless array of distractions it's like that is so seductive yet we've got a choice to really dive deep in this potent time that we're in and i see that in myself as well that kind of moment to moment choice could either numb out to the endless array of just scrolling to just distract from what's really going on or pay deeper attention and mm-hmm. that seems to be a common predicament that i think as we continue down this route of just the mystery of the technology that discernment is really going to be important that daily practice of of discerning when to turn the fucking phone off and when to pay some deeper attention and when to go off into the jungle or the desert and take a vision quest or a medicine journey or really um make those conscious choices to to step up in this current mm-hmm. time you know mm-hmm. yeah and the question for me has been you know there's a bandwidth of discomfort that i think lands somewhere between too comfortable and over the top uh unmanageable levels of of pain and suffering in somewhere in there actually that's where life can really thrive and mm-hmm. i the challenge is that the technology can be a very comforting factor but it also delays the inevitable discomfort of having to wake up to what's actually going on and you know in a, in my personal journey discomfort and pain and suffering have been the one of the core catalysts to finding another way of being to stepping away from the grid and looking at uh how do i create authentic joy and also be able to feel grief and not not have this sort of 
apathetic, colorless uh, reality in between? And what are the things that I need to really resource myself? My sense with culture at large is that it will just become so uncomfortable at some point to to live the human existence that people will will genuinely have the opportunity to become machines or they will return to humans. And that might be some sort of existential mm. split in how we decide our future. But um, for me, the value of being human has never been more real. Like I, I know what it's like to feel like a machine. I don't, I don't particularly find it, find it um, fulfilling. Um, and I like knowing that I have an end and that, uh, you know, in that I have this lifetime to be grateful for and whatever is beyond that is part of the great mystery. And I think that part of the human journey needs to be rediscovered uh, yeah. because it's, it's what keeps us human, you know, um, whereas the machine world offers something uh, visibly eternal and yet very shallow in, in comparison to the richness of what it means to be born and live and die. Yeah, I agree. And I feel the same way. Yet I also recall when like when smartphones first started coming onto the onto the experience and, and I was one of those people that was holding on to the old old phone. You know, like, mm-hmm. I'm never never gonna get a smartphone. <laughs> never gonna get uh, I don't wanna complicate things. I wanna keep it simple. I've got my phone to make phone calls, that's it. And then all of a sudden everyone's got them. Mm-hmm. And now mm-hmm. I've got it. And it's so mm-hmm. useful and it's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't help but think it'll be kind of similar. I, like I would, I'd, I'd hope I'd still have that discernment of like, no, nah, I like being human. Mm-hmm. It's great. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden everyone's becoming computers and robots and getting these chips in their head or whatever is getting developed. Mm. It gets. Uh, I can't help but think it'll become normalized, and everyone's yeah, of doing course, it. Of course, sure. Yeah, and, sure. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Like, will we have revillaged enough to be able to have communities that can actually make intelligent choice? What What do you think? Looking it's certainly ahead. possible. Yeah, it's certainly possible. And I think that the truth is is that if we were to, as as we get back in touch with what it means to have emotional depth and uh, joy and and grief and the things that actually retain us as in our humanity, um, and we find purpose and meaning in that. To me, technology could be an incredible response to the daily grind of surviving. Like, mm-hmm. like it's a lot of work to. And part of the reason people moved away from villaging is that you don't. Not everybody wants to be a farmer and and dig in the dirt and grow food and source water and figure out how you're going to make heat and these are like real human needs that require a lot of effort. And if technology was put in its place, it would serve those needs very well and give us time to be human. Mm-hmm. You know, right now we're sort of in this weird in-between place where the reason technology exists has sort of lost its way in, in relationship to us. You know, it's sort of driving the ship as opposed to like, if, if it could just take care of these things. And I've certainly seen that, actively seen that uh, in certain communities around the world. And it's an amazing thing what happens. You know, the beauty of life just starts to unfold and you find yourself in a field of love, of what that actually means to live in love and not be disturbed from the act of loving. 
and being in sacred contact with life. And that's a heaven unlike any machine reality. I personally feel like having experienced enough of it. Um, I just feel like it's so, that's so compelling that if you get a taste of that, you're like, oh yeah, that's, that's really the, in the, the enhancement that I want to feel in this reality. And, um, makes the, the, the machine distraction pale in comparison from what it can do for your nervous system and give you a sense of fulfillment. So I think people just need to discover that. Will they discover it? Uh, you know, I think that's really, again, a, a not necessarily in, in the domain of human control and has to do with some perhaps bigger uh, churnings of, of, our, of, of our world and our reality that are yeah, unfolding in, in ways that we can't know. Yeah, and like you touched upon before, I know for me, it took me hitting a kind of rock bottom to start mm -hmm. developing these practices and to start just appreciating life more, you know, and, mm -hmm. and you, you touched upon it before. Maybe humanity, maybe the collective does have to wait until it just feels so shit and it's so full of suffering that it's undeniable we need to shift we need to do mm -hmm. something so mm -hmm. may, maybe maybe the suffering needs to get that bad um suffering tends to have that type of spiritual sandpaper that can wake us up so we'll see hopefully it doesn't need to get that bad before we collectively pay attention but it's it's a mystery yeah and i think it's you know it's in a process because we live such a privileged life in in the west of when you know like our suffering triggers opportunity uh in the, in the quote-unquote develop underdeveloped parts of the world their suffering just creates more suffering like they just don't have the resources that we have to turn that into a meaningful opportunity to escape that suffering and so my sense is that uh, for me the waking up is how can i be of service to this world what can I do from my place of privilege to turn towards those who are in need and be more giving and be more compassionate and be more considerate? And truly, it wouldn't take much of the Western world to do that for a fundamental shift to occur worldwide. And so there is in that perhaps the beginnings of a, a, a and you see it in a lot of ways of people who have quite a bit of influence and or quite a bit of um, of. Uh, capacity to influence going through that journey of suffering and waking up and that that then can have quite a, a catalytic effect on mm -hmm. the world around them and it just depends on the privilege to which they're born into yeah alex i want to shift gears a little bit and just yeah. <laughs> um and be a bit of a fan which i am i'm a super mm. fan of yours and Oh, thanks, man. Joe sends her love for, for starters on this note. Yeah. And um, we, we often marvel at so many of your creations, so many of your tunes. And they're because um, we're both pretty picky in what we put in a yoga class, you know. And mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. quite often the playlist is filled with your either, uh, either Shaman's Dream, like Kerala, uh, what, Kerala, Kerala Dream. Kerala Dream, yeah. That would be in our top five albums. Like what you and Craig mm -hmm. Colin created and captured in that album is mm -hmm. exquisite. That's often our mm -hmm. go-to because even mm -hmm. just playing it from start to finish is like the perfect uh, yoga, sound, India, mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. holy experience, you know? Mm -hmm. So that, mm -hmm. 
and uh, Desert Dwellers and your solo stuff. Like it's a huge portfolio of um, incredible music. So I just want to mm. gush on um, how you've tapped into something really beautiful with what you create to, um, and I think I really do feel you're at the cutting edge of how to create music that's both uh, delightful on the senses that we often put it on when we're, you know, chilling on a Saturday afternoon or both deep in a yoga class. It's like both. It's sensory, just delicious for any situation, but also just really optimum for sadhana, for just going deep in the yoga practice. So I'd love to... Mm. um, here on your experience of what it's like creating the music. Is it a practice as you create it? Is it a, do you have a vision for it or does it happen spontaneously and organically? I'd love to hear mm. your process of creating these really masterpieces, huh? Mm. Thank you, Stuart. Thank mm. you so much. And just, yeah, just to take that in for a moment and, to feel that that love coming back for something that was uh, was co-created at the time, and just to really honor Craig now, who goes as Sahuna Sahuna and uh, Amani from Desert Dwellers. We were really in a rich time of meeting each other uh, on the path and finding a lot of depth in our connected again, sort of connection around the healing process and and music and and in many ways sort of you know i use the word shamanism but i would say earth-based music practices practices for music that came from cultures who are very close to their own connection with earth and with spirit and drawing from all that and i think the three of us really found each other in that and there was an incredible upwelling of creativity that came from that um we certainly and I speak of we because at that time we were we were so involved in our co-creative process together that a lot of wisdom came out of of that experience of really meeting each other and drawing ourselves into this process of how do we show up in service to all these amazing human beings that are wanting to explore their own bodies and be in, in a sacred movement practice and you know sort of find new contemporized ways to to offer up music that would be meaningful to what's happening now and also tie people into their roots of where these practices come from. Um, so in the early days, you know, there's sort of the initial musical training part of like, you know, I went to school for music. I studied jazz, classical, ethnic music. I, I ate, breath and slept music for years. And then there was the like, get down on the pavement and show up in the places where bodies are moving and watch what's happening. Um, I was, I had personal training in uh, with a very amazing yoga teacher here in Canada uh, where we were doing yoga and music therapy for cancer patients. And he had furniture that had speakers built in and we would watch, I would lay a body down and put bass waves in and elements in and what happened breath and see what things really deepened the state of, of sort of healing that was happening within the body. And then doing that in yoga classes, you know, showing up in the class with instruments and Craig and I would often put together an ensemble and we just sort of play with what, what's actually, if we're really being honest, what's really deepening the practice and what's not. Um, and a lot of 
putting ideas out, getting real about them, coming back, reflecting, feeling, being in our own felt somatic sense process with the, with the writing and having a practice ourselves so that we can stay embodied and not just become cerebral about the act of making music. And, you know, there was a technology piece to speak of the usefulness of technology. There was an exploration around the kinds of sounds that you can make only in the digital realm and how to blend those with acoustics that make it so that you don't really know what's acoustic and what's digital. So your, your, the mind is not involved in like, eh, is that a, is that a kick drum from a, you know, an 808 or is that a acoustic thing? You know, like the, the mind both in the writing and the listening should essentially be quiet and not be as involved. And so the practice of composing became a meditative process that over years and doing it over and over and over and over again. I mean, we must have written a thousand songs, just just coming up with ideas and iterating them out became a meditative practice of getting quiet. Once the mechanics of, of the, the process became known and repeatable, uh, just like mantra, you learn the mantra and then you just sort of drift off into the, the spaciousness in between the words. And there's certainly a, a craft of that, and then I would say there's the navigating of, okay, so you've made this music and now what, what do you do with it? How do you get it out there? How do you get the compensation for it, which fuels more creating of it? And in that, there was just the beauty of being in Los Angeles at the time where yoga teachers needed what we were creating. And so we had opportunities to write, work for hire. And, you know, thankfully there was just a, a need and the need really fueled more of the creating and there's nothing better than being in the real-time feedback of your creation and like going to a yoga class and giving a teacher a song and having them put it on for the first time and, and you being practicing and watching the other students practice and just being in the like uh the the moment of reward for that creation and then getting paid for that that's mm-hmm. like wow amazing so um all of that conspired for a time and we i think then we all got to a point where okay we're going to shift gears here a little bit and reorient and go on our separate artistic journeys and for me now what it's evolved into which i feel like is i'm very grateful for is deeply being in the meditation um of listening and of being with my body and being with my breath and allowing really for me, allowing spirit to move through me um, and, and being present to that experience um, and mindful when it, when I'm getting too involved in the process and returning back to the meditation as, as the way of, of continuing to be a channel. And so, you know, there's certainly an improvisational element to it. And then there's the, the taking of what comes through in those improvisational moments and the refining of that into um, Mm -hmm. song structure. But for me personally, what I'm more fueled by right now in my life is the gifting of that meditation process to other people. Mm -hmm. uh, And not as much in the production of recordings that people can put on. Like I think, like you say, there's such a large library of that. Um, that people can really dive into. And now it's more about sitting with smaller groups for me of people and 
opening up their capacity to be in that meditation and using their voice as a way to experience what it feels like to make direct contact with that. Beautiful. So that's what you're doing a lot of right now, more of in teacher role, would you say? Yeah, facilitation yeah. of group group, uh, group vocal journeys. Mm. is certain, And it's something that I have a teacher of that I connected with. His name is Amit Carmeli and uh, my partner Naomi Jason and I do it together. She introduced me to him four years ago and he was at the top of his game in Israel in a huge band and that all sort of fell apart and gave way to this new offering for him, which was much more about the meditative journey through listening and being in a direct contact with life through breath and sort of a Sufi and Jewish mystic process combined that Mm. uh, is so dear to me. And I feel like has the same feeling of bhav and flavor and sadhana that the recordings did, but it's in real time and the gift is something that people can really embody and take with them. Yeah. Utilizing the voice in that way is so powerful. We often bring in like the combination of asana, breath work and voice. And pretty Mm -hmm. much always it is the, the usage of the voice that takes it all to another level, so to speak, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. for example, be watching someone in a, in Hanumanasana, in a long stretch for a period of time and they're just kind of doing it, doing Mm -hmm. it. And then the breath might maybe starts getting a bit grippy, a bit shallow. And then you bring in some voice and even just the simple like, ah, sound or Mm -hmm. something like Mm -hmm. that. And it takes the experience to another level always, Mm -hmm. unless one Mm -hmm. is really resistant and just clenches the jaw even more when inviting the the sound, which happens. And I've been there as well. I've been very resistant to sound in the past, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the power of it, even just to shift tension, even just plain and simple physical tension, the effect Mm -hmm. of letting our voice just roar and letting out some very simple primordial sound is... Mm -hmm so powerful and it, it really does feel like that and breath really such powerful tools to help us get in, in my opinion or in many people's opinion the same potency of what we can we get from plant medicines mm-hmm. in our in our own body like in the moment it's incredible mm-hmm. what I've mm-hmm. witnessed in my own experience and from other people like you you breathe with enough attention and make sound with a group energy or not even a group energy, but the ability for that to unlock what we're all looking for Mm -hmm. in just a moment, the -hmm. power of sound, it just, it keeps getting revealed to be so powerful. So I love that that's what you're doing right now, huh? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks for that reflection. I mean, it's really a beautiful way to see the power of of sound and breath Mm -hmm. and how it can deepen us in asana, it can deepen us into any moment. And you spoke of resistance. And I I guess I'm curious for you what, uh, you know, what, what perhaps that if you were to look at it, what that resistance was about, and and maybe how you moved through it, just to flip flip it back. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think, for starters, on like the the most surface level, I thought I had a shit voice. So it's mm-hmm. like I got I got, a, I got a shit voice. The person up the front there, the teacher or whatever, has a beautiful voice, 
uh, I'm not even going to try and compare. So there was that comparison game mm-hmm. of being insecure. I think that's the most surface level. But then under that, some deeper baggage, you could say. Um, I was uh, brought up practicing uh, Judaism and I just, I, I actually hated it as a kid. Mm-hmm. I was, I was mm-hmm. the only Jewish kid at school. Um, mm-hmm. When I'd go to synagogue, they'd be, they'd be chanting these chants, but I could feel uh, the lack of joy in, in this particular synagogue. I felt uh, as a kid, all I saw was dogma. I wouldn't have called it dogma at the time, but just uh, a, a lack of joy and a lack of play and the chants were just getting chanted and it just felt mechanical. And I think that would be a deeper thing of like, I'm not chanting. This is... I'm not. I'm not in synagogue again. Let's mm-hmm. let's just let's just jam, you know. So mm-hmm. there was that, but I kept revisiting it, even though I had such resistance. I could feel, I think, on a more subtle level, that hmm, there's there's something to this because I kept showing up, even though I hated it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and then there was a beautiful experience where I just. Like up up until this particular point, I'd kind of do it, but in a very in like a in a very minute way. Like you, the there's like really chanting, like really going for it. Then there's like a one eighth chant. It was like that, like jaw pretty clenched, just just kind of whispering it almost, which has power to it. But then I thought, fuck it, I'm just gonna give it my all. Like what's, what's mm-hmm. there to lose? <laughs> mm-hmm. And it, li- it literally felt like this um, lump in my throat, this kind of ugh, just thickness in my throat became like a bubble bursting. And it, mm-hmm. was, like, it was like an orgasm. It was a really mm-hmm. beautiful mystical experience of, oh, thank God I got rid of this tension in my throat. And... Mm-hmm. It was incredibly liberating. This mm-hmm. was after some years of a really strong asana practice and didn't want anything to do with devotion or mantra or anything like that. And then this one moment just shifted it all radically. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, that's what the resistance would have been. A few different things, but looking back, that's, that's what it felt like. Beautiful. Wow. Mm. Thanks for sharing all that. Um, you know, I'm struck because the last time I was hosting a circle, I was offering people the, um, the meditation that we're built as a, as an instrument, you know, our, our literally our, from our pelvic ball and our muladhara chakra, right, right at the anus, all the way up, there's this incredible structure that's built but it doesn't really meet the world until our voice. And this is where it, it starts to resonate out and we make contact with the world around us. And so it's such a, it's, it's such a place where, you know, if we don't feel safe or we don't feel like we belong, this is really the, the communication point between the world around us and ourselves. And so much can get held in that place. And there's also this wonderful feedback loop with the ears and how we interpret our own voice and what the feeling of all that is. And it's just such a naked point of our humanity. And, and if we can find freedom 
And if we do feel the call, the yearning to keep showing up to, to this inquiry of what this, what this is to have a voice, um, it really does take us to the depths of our being. And I think sounds like you found freedom and, and really that that's all I want now is just to find freedom myself over and over again. And uh, I mean, I just did a breathwork session today where I found an entirely new level of freedom in my voice, in a feeling of totality within mm -hmm. myself of, and the vision was like, I have so many creative ideas and yet I give those up to spirit in just an offering of my, my love of life. And I'm not attached to the, the outcome of all these wonderful visions coming through my, my mind. And it was in the voice that I was expressing the joy of just having creativity and what a beautiful thing that is to have. And so I think, you know, we can keep coming back to uh, the voice and the breath as a way of continuing to open. And it's also a profound way to grieve. If you ever need to grieve something, there's this sort of moaning and, you know, we don't know how to make the sounds of grief in our culture. Mm. And so there's this profound fear of what it means to lose something because we've lost the art of actually being in, in the grief process through sound. And I feel like I was just in a, because part of my training was in end of life care. I had an opportunity recently to, for the first time in a very long time to go and be with someone who was dying and sing to them. And, um, you know, my mom asked me afterwards, she said, what did you sing about? I was like, I just saw saying about dying and letting go. And, allowing the, the body to feel like it's okay to surrender. And in that, I watched his pain levels decrease and his discomfort decrease. And it's not that I'm medicating him. I'm just reminding his body what it means to be free and let go. And the voice transmits that in real time to the nervous system. And so the more we let go, the more people who receive our voice as a teacher as a facilitator of healing, get to feel that surrendered nervous system that's mm -hmm. okay, no matter what, you know. And I think that as far as like, quote unquote, sowing hope, I feel like we need to sow the seeds. Of it's okay to let go. It's okay mm -hmm. to not be in control. And it's okay to let life do its process right now. It, we are in a dying phase. And will it be reborn into something new? Maybe, maybe not. But if we can just stay with the breath and the sound of it, uh, we'll find freedom. And in that, that's a beautiful journey to take on. Oh, yeah. on that similar note, um, I was reminded of this, another really beautiful experience. This was at the end of 2012, uh, the auspicious date of um, December 21. And uh, Joe and I were in this really potent ceremony and uh, she was also dealing with her mom that was dying of cancer. And she, she wasn't a big chanter, a similar type uh, opinion and experience of chanting to, to me. We didn't, we didn't do much of it. <clears throat> but this particular moment, um, she just sat up tall and in her sweet little voice said, do you mind if I offer a mantra? And she just belted out, like th think like opera, like high, high pitch, um, on money, pub me home, just belted yeah. it out. And a lot of people were lying down at this stage, just cooked and everyone sat up and it was this powerful moment that she describes as similar to what I was saying of the throat, like 
And what you were saying, this tender area of the throat, she described that experience as um, awakening this, this confidence to speak her truth. Mm-hmm. And, and it was also this mourning over her mom that was dying. And it, it was a huge experience of allowing this kind of, you could say, next evolution of her potential to awaken. Mm-hmm. And, and everything changed after that once again. Mm-hmm. You know, she was mm-hmm. able to really show up for her mom. And while she was dying, her go-to mantra was, all there is is love, all there is is love, mm-hmm. all there is is love. Mm-hmm. Not, that, not that she was singing to her as she died. I don't think it quite comes as natural to her yet to like sing in that way. Probably comes very natural to you. But she mm-hmm. had a mantra, you know, a mantra of just, mm-hmm. All there is is love, all there is is love, all there is is love. And that was the tool to really help her deal with the death and also create a loving field, you could say, for for her mom to let go into. And Mm -hmm. Joe describes this, uh, when she did finally let go of the body, when, when her mom finally died, because she was so deep in the all there is is love, she didn't feel any different. Like literally, mm-hmm. it didn't feel any different. So it's mm-hmm. like the mantra, the breath, the sound can really be that bridge to get deeper in touch with who we truly are and who mm-hmm. everyone truly is. And then the death mm-hmm. thing, the death thing that is so in our culture tends to be very um, denied and pushed behind clean sanitized curtains and all of that, we can, we can be with it like you described and, mm-hmm. and be of service and really, and even just for ourselves to be with a dying person is an mm-hmm. absolute gift mm-hmm. instead of shying away from it. And it's a gift, you know, and my, my main teacher is Ramdas and that's been a huge, uh, huge chapter of his life as well to, to be of service to those dying. And it's mm-hmm. a powerful, powerful moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really truly is. It's a, and it's something that, you know, I think we can all look at reclaiming. It's, you know, again, there, there's, like I, I, I heard you speak to when you found that liberation, there was something of an orgasmic moment as well. Mm-hmm. And just to encapsulate that the places where our culture suffers the most is in death, sexuality, birth, like these places of like our core being. These are like fundamental parts of us. And there is, there is I think, in a way, a misdirected compassion that's trying to lessen the pain of it all. You know, mm-hmm. and that we've we've generally gotten to ourselves to this place where we have all these tools for distraction and medication, and actually, it's it's sort of a perhaps an unaware compassion that's just trying to make it better. You know, but what it's done is it's reduced our contact with reality to the point where we now are afraid of these things that are just a part of life and and death, part of being human. And there is something amazing about quote unquote finding in that what what that means for us to find our voice in our erotic nature, what that means to to allow sound to move through us in our contact with our own arrows and then our contact with 
death and however it occurs for us and our contact with life. Um, you know, for me, the act of singing in this way was first taught to me as a deep way to make contact with life mm. on life's terms, to listen to life as life is, to breathe life in as life is, to allow it to be felt at the deepest level. And, you know, it's not like, I mean, I think these are very humble acts to involve ourselves in. And it's courageous as well, because feeling your way into that, there's a lot of discomfort in the way. It's it's not like it's all a big, easy ride into like finding your peace with, with how life and death work. You know, um, it takes labor. It takes work. It takes work to die well. That's what I've learned, you know, yeah. and you want to have... But by seeing what a good death looks like, you start to realize what it means to live your life well so that you can show up to death's door without regrets and resentments and hidden pains and the things that make death a horrible experience um, are all the all the things you didn't get to do when you were living. So, you know, I feel like the beauty of yoga and the beauty of voice and the beauty of breath and the beauty of all these practices that are coming to our aid right now seem to be about allowing us to feel actually what's going on so that we can find freedom in that. And I, I speak for myself from, again, a humble place of being a constant student in watching myself wanting to check out, just needing a, a distraction for a moment. And yet in this time in my life, I'm the least distracted I've ever been. There's a very few number of distractions I allow myself. I'd rather be in pain. I'd rather be in discomfort and let that teach me what it is I need to do to feel better in my body every day. And how is it that I can show up in service to life and death uh, in that? And, you know, that's a big piece. And I think in that we all need each other because we need to look at someone else and be like, dude, we got this, right? Like, mm -hmm. this is, you know, we're going to, we're going to be okay. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, uh, and that the, the hardwiring of connection is really one of the deepest comforts of all is just knowing that you're not alone. Mm -hmm. and yeah. how do we foster more of that in our world yeah on the weekend i ran a um a, a long format class workshopy type thing and and we practiced eye gazing soul gazing for for an extended period for half an hour and um most of the people had never done it before and you know that was a big ask for um, this particular group, uh, there were some tighter people in there, a fit group, but, you know, um, like uh, to sit for longer than a few minutes still uh, was, it was a big ask. And um, mm -hmm. there was a lot of eye rolling when we went into it of like, fuck, what am I in for? And all mm -hmm. of that could just kind of cut that with a knife, the, um, mm -hmm. the dreading of it. Mm. But the the breakthroughs and the tears of joy and connection and the sharings after it were mm -hmm. incredible. Mm -hmm. And the gratitude, you know, so that I saw that shift and I see it all the time. I love the exercise and especially for people that have never done it, like, oh, fuck, what am I in for? The first few minutes you can tell are, are tough, mm -hmm. but then the, 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 the sharings after it, that, that connection, Mm -hmm. And uh, several people shared that not only have they never done that before, but like, fuck, I've, I haven't gazed into my 
partner's eyes for more than, you know, a couple minutes, if that, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. my children's eyes. To, so it inspired this um, need for connection and this, mm-hmm. uh, this joy of connection. It's mm-hmm. not you ought to or not uh, you need to. It's like what a joy it is to connect and just gaze into another person's eye eyes and pay attention and um mm-hmm. yeah back to the technology piece like i feel that even with you now even though we're looking through a screen for me mm-hmm. it's a kind of meditation of connection and mm-hmm. it, it's inspiring of like how we can use these tools of technology and really connect beautifully because it, it really is a wonder Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is truly, yeah. It, it's an incredible opportunity, yeah, to do that. You know, and I feel you, and feeling that connection feels really mm-hmm. amazing. And here we are in real time. Yeah, just, yeah. But I'd love to respect your time, Alex. Is there anything mm-hmm. you want to um, share with the listeners of Yogi Tunes and other projects or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just in, thanks for asking. Um, in brief, so Yogi Tunes was actually born out of this collaboration with Craig Sohuna, Craig Colin, and Amani Friend. And over time, over the years, it's evolved. They ended up really kind of going back to focusing full-time on their music. And I stayed on and sort of held the helm of the company for some time. And what's happening now, actually, is that we're... My partner, Naomi, and I have really landed in a place of looking at this together and feeling that the company in its roots uh, needs needs needed something, something of an evolution. And so, and partly is that is that her and I both have had training as yoga teachers and movement, but we're our breadth of what we go to for movement meditation is quite wide at this point. She's a medical Qigong instructor. We're both dance facilitators. Um, have a lot of different tools. We have these singing offerings, you know. So we sat with that for a while and decided to rebrand the company to Intune. I like that. And yeah, the mission of Intune really is what what does what do you need in yourself each day to to get in tune with yourself, to get in tune with the world around you? How can music be a support for that? How can movement be a support for that? Um, how can this music service show up to support not just yoga teachers, but uh, healing arts professionals uh, in a wide variety of disciplines. And so we're relaunching, really everything is shifting towards this focus of Intune launching in November and uh, letting parts of the Yogi Tunes world go die and go back to the earth and be, you know, be creative Jews for something else energetically. Um, but it's certainly a streamlining of the service. And um, Naomi's been she's full-time music curator for the service now and she's been bringing on some incredible artists and making some amazing sequences that really are great for uh one of the things we have is just the most epic love making soundtracks ever so just your sacred erotic time and um deep healing needs for sound baths and uh that kind of thing is just really rich in the service right now so that's very exciting um, and I would say where I've been most active lately is on SoundCloud. So soundcloud.com forward slash Rara Avis music. Uh, I'm facilitating large ecstatic dances all the time. So you can find my DJ sets there. You can find a lot of my improvised yoga sets there. You can find more devotional prayer songs and 
acoustic stuff that I've been sort of meandering about in. And um, part of what Naomi and I also do in the dance realm is called Dance Temple. And that's a version of ecstatic dance that has a little bit more facilitation. And um, if anybody is ever in the Southern BC area, Victoria, Salt Spring Island, and you want to give me a shout out on Facebook, Alex King Harris, K-I-N-G hyphen H-A-R-R-I-S. Uh, you're welcome to come and dance with us. And it's really beautiful, celebratory, uh, tribal church culture where we just get down every week. So I'm really rooted locally right now and really enjoying the opportunity to deepen my my roots here and just invite people to, to come to this part of the world. Uh, Victoria, BC, Canada is quite a I love a Canada. Place, yeah, it's pretty amazing. I lived here. there for a few years. I lived on the east coast, oh, nice. but uh, I love Canada. I've got a deep connection there, so we'll, we'll try and get up there as well. We'd love to see you. Yeah, We'd love to see you're what's going here on anytime. Man. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and so thank you so much for the questions and all the love, and for just carrying the medicine of the music, and for all the ways you've woven it into your life, and how much medicine you weave into the lives of others. It really just props right back at you, and thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, it's been great to connect, Alex. I love your work. It's been a real honor. Mm, thank you so much. You too. All the, all the best with everything. Yeah, blessings. Yeah. yeah. All right, take care. Yeah, thanks. You too. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. If you did enjoy that, please take a moment to leave a five-star review and a comment on Apple Podcasts while you're there. Please subscribe share the love on your social media platforms, all of that support I am so grateful for. And it actually really does help the podcast reach other people. So thank you so much for taking a moment to do that. If you feel like further supporting the podcast, please hop on to stuartwatkins.org forward slash podcast. And there are donate buttons there. If you feel inspired to support in that way, To everyone, to all of you that have been donating and supporting, I bow to you with so much gratitude, really. I see you, I see the names popping up, and I love you, and I am so grateful. Much love and gratitude to my sound guy, Gian. You're doing an awesome job. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Much love to you all, and have a beautiful day, night, week, and keep the inspiration flowing. Until next time, much love, be well.